Thanks for joining us for another Family Life Today program brought to you Monday to Friday by Power to Change. I'm sure you'll hear something today that could give you a fresh perspective on your marriage or family situation. Be encouraged as we join Dave and Ann Wilson. There's something in us that wants to be impressive. That wants to be somebody. Oh, yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that, but if that's the goal of your life, it can lead to some very bad choices you make to be impressive. So we've got Dean and Sarah back with us today who wrote a book called Getting Over Yourself. Which is a great title. Yeah, and I had a hard time getting over that comment, you know. So anyway, Dean, welcome back to Family Life Today. It's great to be back. I love being with you all. So let me ask you this. I mean, you're a pastor in Tallahassee. You're a dad. you're, You're married and you've got kids. But you hear that story. First of all, you're smiling. So what are you thinking? Yeah, I think <laughs> that I think that's the story of many of our lives. Yeah, there's the I don't know if this is what you're experiencing in the moment, but for me, First John talks about the lust of the flesh and the mm. lust of the eyes. The lust of the flesh is I want to feel that. Mm. The lust of the eyes is I want to have that. And what are the things we want to feel and want to have? Yeah. Usually it's admiration. Right. It's to feel like we are somebody. Yeah. And what a daily fight for us to actually believe that we are somebody in Christ. That's the point. And that we in are Christ. no and we actually are nobody outside of Christ. Right. Even though the fact that God made us in this image and then it's together in our mother's womb, we have dignity because we're image bearers of God. Uh, but the things of this world don't define us even for a moment about who we are making us somebody. And it's a battle for us as parents. To not let our kids fall into that trap as well, because the culture is constantly screaming that into their ears. Definitely. And I want want my kids to be somebody, you know, (laughs) by the world standards. And I want to be somebody. Maybe we're obsessed with that as parents. But what you're saying is that isn't just in the culture and the world anymore. You're seeing that you write in the book about that theology sort of finding itself in the church as well, right? Definitely, because I think it's telling people that. God's will for them is to be as successful as possible, to go achieve that dream, to go conquer that goal. And when you talk to most people at a younger life phase, most of their goals are to be really successful, <laughs> to make a lot of money, to be famous, to be, have a platform, to be well-known, to publish this book, all those type of things. It's all None of those things by themselves are bad things. But when we believe that that's God's will for our life is to achieve those things, I worry that we're going to be set up for a lot of failure when it comes to this life, how we define it. But more importantly than that, disappointment with God, because mm-hmm. we're going to assume that he had all these things of success for us. And then fast forward down the road when you're 45 years old and live in a basic suburban cul-de-sac where the only people that know your name are the your kids and their are their friends and their friends' parents, it's going to feel like maybe that you failed at life somehow rather than actually living a glorious life because you're living in relationship with God through the local church and raising a great family. When did that stop being the goal? Hmm. And I'd love to see Christians return to that being what gets excited and that being what is considered the fulfilled life is one that's with God, with the church, and with our families. Hmm. And, and in some ways, that's why you wrote the book, because I think a lot of people that walk away from Christ, I think, and again, it's just some guy research, just me observing uh, 30 years being a pastor, but it isn't, I don't think that they don't believe in Jesus anymore. I think they're disappointed in the life they're living after following Christ. Like, I thought I'd be happier. I thought I would be more impressive. I thought I would get the things I was looking for. And those things aren't always coming true. It's like, I'm walking away from this. Is that what you're seeing? Yeah. What happens when your coach doesn't deliver? Eventually he gets fired. Yeah. Right? I mean, how many football coaches get fired in two years, three years? Well, if God's just seen as your life coach, yeah. eventually you're going to move on to something else mm-hmm. that's going to – you still might believe that that coach exists. It just doesn't work because much of the new prosperity gospel really is defined by the pragmatic. 
It's what works, what doesn't, what's successful, what brings in people. So a lot of pastors get caught up in it because they know that when you tickle the ears, it's going to draw a crowd. And we think that we're doing the right thing and it must be working because look at how many people are here when Jesus actually turned people away when they wouldn't be willing to actually pick up their cross and follow him. So I think that we need to really redefine what is success in general and how we have come so far from a biblical definition of success, which is defined by life with God and being part of God's mission. I want that to be what success looks like for me. Well, we recently sat down with Trevin Wax, and it's interesting because you know him, Dean. How do you guys know each other? Uh, Just through our church networks, and uh, he's a good friend and a really brilliant Christian thinker and a great writer, so I'm really thankful that he was on this program. Yeah, he was great. I mean, his book has a similar title, Rethink Yourself, and when he was on our program not too long ago, he made some comments that I think you'll resonate with, and I'd love to hear your response as you hear this clip. Uh, we're not the center of the universe with him revolving around our plans. <laughs> He's at the center of everything, and we are part of his big plan. Uh, God coming first, then looking around to others, to the, the people of God, the family of God that we are called to be a part of, um, and then looking in to see the unique contribution that God has for us to his kingdom. You know, the Apostle Paul talks about how in the church, you know, it's, it's one body, but there are many different parts. We all have different roles to play. And I think, I mean, as a parent, I, I know my kids are unique and I want to celebrate those, hmm. the unique aspects of, of those kids, but I want to celebrate them in a way that's going to have them asking questions. Where does my identity, my gifts, my talents, the things that God has given me, where's that going to fit in, in his overall plan? Not how can God fit into my plan yes. for my life, but how can what God has given me fit into his plan for the world? That's the bigger question that I think we have to wrestle with. I think Trevin's exactly right. A couple of things come to mind when I hear him say that. First, talking about God being the center of the universe rather than us. I think every Christian I know would say, yes, God's the center of the universe. Uh, in the new prosperity gospel, you just want to make sure you're standing right next to him. <laughs> that, that you're as close to that as possible as well and don't want to give up any of that glory uh, to share with him. You're cool with him having it, but I just want to have it too. And then I really appreciate the thought about his own kids where I want my kids to know that they have a purpose. Like they really do have a purpose, but that's the issue. Let's define the purpose. And the purpose is what does it look like in your life with God, like in your relationship with God to fulfill the purpose he has for you, which is to use whatever it is he has given you. If it's your situation in life, if it's your talents, whatever it could be for his glory in the church, to love the church and the mission to thrive around the world. So when we hear about our own gifts, God never gives us the gifts for our personal good or just on its own or our personal glory. God gives us gifts to use them for the flourishing of others, the flourishing of the church, and for his glory. And we need to make sure that our kids know that. Mm. That God's given you a gift not so you can be a big deal. God's given you a gift so you can continue to make him a big deal. Yeah, that's good. And you can make him a big deal without some massive platform. And I think that's where we get confused sometimes. We think in order to make God a big deal, I need to be famous. I need to have a million social media followers. I need to write five books rather than, no, you can make God a big deal with your gifts by being a faithful husband, by being a great mom, by being a great dad, by being the most hardworking employee that others at work look to and admire. And as a result, they see your distinct life and it points to a distinct God. I think when we start to be able to see the mundane things in life as opportunities God has given us to make his name great, I think it'll totally rethink how we view almost everything. I feel like recently I've been meeting with a lot of younger women, which I love to do, just kind of mentoring them, hearing their hearts, hearing their passion for Jesus. 
But there was a time several years ago that I came home and I was just discouraged because it felt like everyone I was meeting with was saying, I feel like God wants me to speak before millions. And I remember saying to some of these young women, you know, you know what he wants? He wants your life. He wants you to lay down your life before him and for you to say, I will follow you if it has me cleaning bathrooms as a stay-at-home mom, every because that's what I feel like I did in my younger years, trying to find, like, is there anything in this? And I felt like God was really pleased. God, how can I make you famous? How can I lay down my hopes and my dreams and hand them to you because you're the one I want to follow more than anything else? Yeah, and I think the question then is, okay, how do we do it? Because our sin nature is going to be about me, <laughs> and, you know, I want to take care of me. And in a sense, I don't want to be the center of my own universe, but I do. <laughs> I sort of want to be the same in my own home. I want my wife to say, you are the man. And <laughs> in a sense, that's really sick. And in the other sense, it's like, well, that's in there. So how do I overcome that? And obviously, how do we help our kids overcome that? Yeah, I think we have to put ourselves in our place. <laughs> you hear someone say, oh, man, she just put him in his place or yeah, he just yeah. put her in her place. Yeah. I think we have to put ourselves in our place regularly and reprogram our thinking on a daily basis mm. that this world really isn't about me. I know that sounds cliche, but sometimes things are cliche because they're true. Yeah. <laughs> and, we, and we need to return to that. the fundamentals yeah. like over and over again. I think one of the most fundamental things we possibly can know as Christians is there is a God and we are not him. Mm. Paul wrote to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. And I think one of the areas we can examine ourselves is where do I have a tendency to really want to project myself to almost get in some sort of depression, not a clinical depression, but like a kind of functional depression if I'm not getting those accolades, that admiration. And why is that? Because uh, rather than, cause a lot of times we excuse it and go, well, men need this. Well, women need that. <laughs> okay, that's true. That's not an excuse to be selfish. <laughs> that's not an excuse uh, to look uh, for all the acclaim. And I wonder sometimes if we're in really big trouble with some of our brothers and sisters in Christ because they believe in their life like they're a failure right now because they're 50 years old and their dream they had when they were 20 didn't come true. And why I say I worry is I worry for that person and for the church that they're not able to actually fully flourish in their relationship with Christ because they still feel like there's something missing when there's nothing missing mm. because they have Jesus. And I really want to believe that for myself as well. If I have Jesus, like nothing is actually missing. And the messaging oftentimes we hear today, especially what I call the Instagramification of the, the Christian faith, is that you you still need to go get this. Go chase this. And they'll tell you things like that you have to have these realities in your life for life to really be what is fully meaningful. And I just am really sad for a lot of professing Christians that have gone hook, line, and sinker, and as a result are missing out on joy because their joy has to be so circumstantial. I have to have this. I have to feel this. I have to be a part of this, including worship services where people can't even like churches anymore <laughs> unless it's at a certain level of production and the music is this like A-list quality and the speakers right off a of TED Talk. And it's like how many churches can actually do that <laughs> So because uh, of budget and talent and those type of things? So I worry, what if your job transferred you tomorrow to a town that didn't have a church like that? But at a church that still was had a faithful pastor, that the people loved Jesus, that the kids' ministry volunteers were loving, but it wasn't kaboom. <laughs> it wasn't this big, huge charade. You're saying we've become consumers. Yeah, and I worry that they could not be a part of the local church community in another place because even church for them has to be this certain experience. Because that's how they view life now as an experience. 
rather than God himself being mm. the experience. Go back and talk to the guy who feels like he's at a dead-end job, he's 50, he's dissatisfied, or even the mom that like, man, I'm in the midst of these toddlers. I feel like my life is going nowhere. How do they get that perspective of Jesus is enough? Yeah, I think you're called, remember you're called three things in that moment. You're called one to provide for your family, which there is zero shame in any job if it allows you to pay your bills. No job is beneath any of us if it allows us to do that for our family. The second thing is Colossians says we're to do all things under the Lord. We work on, so every job has a purpose. Like everything in life has a purpose. I can still see my job as a calling, even though it's not in terms of I'm called to be this job. The act of work for God's glory is still a calling. And the third thing is that I'm never exempt from letting my light shine before others. They may mm-hmm. see you see our good works and glorify God. So I would say to reprogram how you view work. Because I know a lot of men can have identity in work oftentimes. We're not supposed to have identity in work. Work yeah. is an assignment that God gave us. You know, work, work existed before the fall. So work is good. Work is not an identity. It's mm-hmm. an assignment God gave us. So I think we have to see it that way. I'm doing this to provide for my family, to work under the Lord and give glory to God, and to find opportunities in the mission field to make the gospel known. And then when you go to work tomorrow with that perspective, all of a sudden it's going to look a little bit different because you're seeing your coworkers who don't know Jesus as opportunities to share God's love with them, hmm. to be in a relationship with them. You're seeing these last two hours of work that are just so, come on, just get to five o'clock if you're working that type of job. Like it actually has purpose, you know, because I'm actually working under the Lord. And then you're not ashamed of your job or your life because you know that God has given you your wife, your husband, these kids. And your your job as a husband and a father is first and foremost to provide for them and to care for them and love them. Now, did you ever come in the house and lose perspective on that? I mean, uh, as a pastor, and I did the same thing where Week, weekly, maybe, yeah, <laughs> daily. I mean, I'd love to hear your perspective because there'd be times where I'd come home and Anne wouldn't treat me with the respect or admiration I felt like I was getting at the church. Oh, you you're going to admit office. this? Well, I mean. You know, I say things and people like I had an assistant and she would go get my, I mean, (laughs) Ann didn't like this, but she'd bring me a Diet Coke into the meeting because I was in a meeting and couldn't get it. And I get home and there's part of me is like, hey, you know, I never did that, but there's part of me is like, I'm exhausted, especially after a lion's trip. We go on a road trip and they take care of you. You chartered flight, best hotel. He's on a road trip and I'm home with a five, three and a and a newborn. Yeah. And so he would come home with that perspective, like, wow, you're you're not even going to serve Well, I mean, me? I come home exhausted, you know. And again, we got beat, so I'm not happy. So anyway, and again, this- I'm joking, but there's a sense of, like, you walk in your marriage where you're, you, and as a preacher, I preach this, lay down your life as Christ did for your bride. And yet there's this me monster in there that's like, I deserve you to take care of me right now because I've been – people have been taking care of me. And, and so talk about that. Do you ever feel that oh, yeah. struggle in your own marriage? Well, they say if you preach from your weaknesses, you'll never run out of material. Yeah, right. right. So, <laughs> oh, definitely. And that's just the open example of the need to get over yourself. Yeah. yeah. You know, where I walk in and I've had – it's been a hard day. I mean, I've preached several times, had to put out these four fires – and yep. then I walk in and my wife has had a full day at home. She has done laundry for a couple hours because of three kids. She's had to do drop-offs and run from one place. So they spent more time in the car than anywhere else just waiting. <laughs> and I had the nerve to walk in and be like, hey, I'm here. Let's all make sure everything revolves around me. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. That is definitely a thing. And it's it, when I think about it, it's embarrassing <laughs> you know, looking yeah. back at just how really sinful I can be. And, and I think that the remedy to that uh, really, one, you have to have a wife 
to, to go back to earlier, he's not afraid to put you in your place. Yeah. Mm. Here's <laughs> and, the question. And, yeah. Has Christy ever said to you, hey, Dean, get over yourself? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> she, she definitely has. Yeah. And, and, and the nice thing is that it, it, it's, it's an adjustment for us when everything, everyone at church, you know, knows you and, you know, yeah. does what you ask them to do. Was just they work on the staff and that type of thing. And then you go home and, the, and then you're, you're not King Tut anymore. Yeah. We shouldn't be King Tut at our churches either, but yeah. functionally that just happens sometimes. Yeah. And that's his own conversation for another time. But when you go home, I, I think it's good to know that your wife is not that impressed. Yeah. Like she's not that impressed. Like, oh, I, and I, I appreciate my wife's encouragement. Yeah. But, you know, she, when I walk in the door on a Sunday, she's like, that was the greatest sermon I've ever heard. <laughs> you know, I want her to say that, you know, but it's just we're going to keep life going together. And it's only going to flourish, really, if I don't think when I walk, get home that all of a sudden music should play and everyone should <laughs> tend to me. That really is a temptation. And it, oh, and, yeah. And not just a temptation, something you give into. You know, oh, yeah. And far off that I like to admit, but just even having this conversation, you bringing that up made me think about, like, man, I do that way too often, <laughs> <laughs> which is why I, need, why I need getting over yourself regularly in my life. Because it really, I think it really is our story. Yeah. Is having to constantly get over ourselves. Yeah. I think it's typical. I mean, I think all of us do this. My life would be better if dot, dot, dot. I did that in, for years in our marriage. My life would be better if you would just, or my kids would just, or my career would just. I think it really comes down to my life would be better if I had Jesus in the forefront of every thought. And that takes a daily discipline. What does that look like for you just on a daily life of walking with Jesus? So I tell people to get rid of the blank mm. and the blank space. Uh, and because what you talked about, my life will just be better if that's a common occurrence. Yeah. So I want to make sure in my own life personally first that I get rid of that blank. Yeah. Because my life would not be better. My life could be easier mm. if I could fill in that blank. Yeah. You know, but it wouldn't be better because the best life we actually have really is life with God. But again, that's a daily struggle to believe that. It's kind of a Lord help my unbelief yeah. kind of moment. So my struggle is not atheism or agnosticism. <laughs> I believe that God is exactly the one he claimed to be. My struggle is actually believing that that is best, that God himself is best, that he is the greatest blessing, that if I never have any material blessing ever again, I hope I do, but if I never have another material blessing again, I'm still blessed because God is good and I, by his grace, am allowed to know him. So I don't want to ever suggest in my function that I have a better life than a Christian somewhere that mm. doesn't have the same I, I guess we could say resources that I have or access to things that I have. I think that Christian can still have a great life because they know the Lord. Yeah. And so I think it's really, it's a belief thing for me. It's mm. really revisiting that over and over again. I really believe that the greatest blessing of God is God. Mm. And the, I think the, where the new prosperity gospel church and the messaging is falling short is it's presenting other means other than that is the reality. Yeah, there's a sense. Uh, I remember uh, years ago doing a weekend member with family life, which we still do. And you should sign up right now and go to one near you. But uh, my co-speaker was a guy named Mick Yoder, who was probably 15, 20 years older than me. And he had lost a son in a plane crash that he was actually in as well. And he made this statement. He said, life would be better if we didn't expect it to be so easy. He just said, we just expect it to be easy. And when it isn't, we're like, what's wrong with my life? And I just thought when I was listening to you for the last couple of days, Dean talked about this. I thought if we understood that when we signed up to follow Christ, we were signing up to get over ourselves. When we signed up to get married, we were signing up to say, this is a way I'm going to get over. When we signed up to have kids, we signed up to say, this is not going to be easy. This is actually going to be really hard and it's going to be 
agony and it's going to be beauty. And it's going to help God me. is going to shape me to become yes. like his son, not through an easier life, actually through a more difficult life that I signed up for knowing on day one, okay, here we go. This is not going to be easy, but it's going to be beautiful. And the end result is going to be what God wants. That's what mm, your yeah. title says. And I think, wow, yeah. that's a great model for my life. Get over myself. The potential God sees in us is mm. the potential to be more like Christ. Yeah. Yes. And the messaging often is God sees this unlimited potential in you. It's like, well, and they, by that they mean for achievement. Yeah. It's like, no, the, the potential God sees in you is that Romans eight twenty nine. you know, the, the, to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Like, that's the potential. So now all of life now is the process right. of us becoming more like Jesus. Mm. And that should be the real win in yeah. our eyes. We want to thank Dave and Ann Wilson and their team for another edition of Family Life Today. Although our programs are produced in America, the issues facing families like forgiveness, communication, and taking care of our kids transcend national borders. These issues profoundly affect relationships everywhere. In Australia, family life is known as Power to Change, and our mission is to effectively develop godly families, the kind of families that change the world one home at a time. A key part of our mission includes strengthening marriages and families all around the world. We want to do whatever we can to bring timeless truths to the challenges you face as you seek to strengthen your family and join us in changing the world. Interesting in mentoring a younger couple or being mentored yourself? Check out Power to Change's mentoring initiative designed to help you avoid those pitfalls we all can fall into. Email radio at powertochange.org.au or go to our website families.powertochange.org.au under the Helping Couples tab to get started today. You're invited back tomorrow at the same time for another Family Life Today presented by Power to Change in conjunction with this radio station.